0: And because of that, your appreciation and your enjoyment and your understanding of worship is much bigger than it was when you came in. And hopefully, for the rest of our lives, we will be growing in our appreciation of the primary activity that God has created each one of us for. I mean, each one of us, when you think, what is your purpose in life? Well, as you go through scripture from beginning to to end, you read what we went through in Ephesians. Uh, when we begin to see how God defines worship, I think you'll begin to see that our primary activity, what you were created for, was the worship of the one true God, but very specifically, the worship of God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the will and word of the Father. That is the end game. That's how it began. That's what it's all for. And that's where it really gets off track too, okay? Because we were wired for worship, but the system's been hacked. It's called total depravity. And everything that moves in our body to worship, the one true God has been jacked and deviated and it goes into all of these other different directions. But the good news of God's word is Christ has come. He died and he lives in us to redeem us For worship. Why did he redeem us? Not just so that we can sit in church on Sundays and be saved, but it's for worship. So I want to throw a small curveball, and we'll come back, okay? When you go through the scriptures, the Lord frequently shows us what worship is and what worship is not. Now, what worship of the one true God is and what it is not. Now, how many of you made it out to the Taylor Swift Eras concert? Oh, Kristen Chack, come on. Come on up to the front. I'm going to interview you. Geneva, you got let off the hook. Come on. Praise, praise, praise team administrator wife. Come on. Hey. Danny, now I understand where all those new guitar licks came from and those new moves on stage came from. I want, you, I want you to tell me how that experience was at the Taylor Swift Air's concert, because, you know, those of us who live close to Santa Clara were up after 11 o'clock at night because she rocked it past the time at Levi's Stadium. I actually went to the one in L.A. with oh, went- my sister. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, and just
1: tell us the whole, how did you decide to go to the Taylor Swift Ayers so my sister's coworker had tickets. Ooh. And he asked You didn't invite Julie. He asked someone to go with him and, and the coworker said no. So that he offered to give the tickets to my sister at like the price he paid. And then my sister asked me, like, do you want to go? So I was like, sure. So we went to LA together.
0: It was almost like it was predestined that yeah. you would go to the Taylor Swift concert. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the whole experience. Getting there in LA traffic. How early did you go?
1: Well, like three hours early that to beat traffic.
0: Okay, three hours early. What did you do for three hours while you hung out in the stadium?
1: My co-worker made friendship bracelets because that was like one of the um, um, like...
0: The, you're supposed to do?
1: People did at the concert and she asked me to trade them with other girls so I went up to girls and were like, do you want to trade friendship bracelets? <laughs> <laughs> and I traded bracelets with Random girls at the concert.
0: That's part of the spirit of Taylor, right? Is that so, you exchange friendship bracelets? So. So. Should we do that at the church sometime? I'll leave that. That's an ensnarement question. Okay. But just think about what Sunday would be like if you went to someone else and exchanged a friendship bracelet. Okay. Moving on. <clears throat> I know I sound like the devil right now. I am not. Okay. What worship of God is, what it is not. Okay. We're in the what it is not right now, but so three hours making friendship bracelets, connecting with people who you've never met before, but there's this common bond, Taylor Swift and friendship bracelets. Okay. For those three hours, opening band. Opening band was Heim for our friends. And, And how was that?
1: It was good. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then how long did you have to wait for Taylor Swift to... Hit the stage.
1: So doors opened at like five, and she came on at eight. So three hours.
0: So three hours. That's not too bad. Okay. And how was how was the Taylor Swift experience? I hear it was like forty four songs.
1: Yeah, it was three and a half hours. Do you were using it forty five minutes? How many costume designs changes? I don't know. I couldn't
0: tell you. But there was <laughs> there were a few, right? There are a lot. Okay.
1: And uh, how did the crowd respond? It was so loud. It was like really loud, the loudest concert I've ever been
0: to. Okay, and how about for you? What was that experience like for those three three and a half plus hours of forty four minutes? And-
1: it was it was fun. It was special sharing it with my sister and like the old middle the middle school me was very happy. It was awesome. on her songs. Yeah.
0: So you remembered the songs? Did you guys sing along to the songs? Of course. Okay. So you were you were actually participating? Yes. And. From an earthly level, was it one of the best experiences? As far as, I mean, she's supposed to be sort of the Oprah of your generation, but
1: yeah, it was good.
0: The high priestess. Okay. How often do you think about it now? Afterwards.
1: Only when people ask.
0: Only when pastors kind of drag you up and and (laughs) do that expose and stuff like that okay if you'd missed out on it do you feel like you would have missed something special
1: I think I would have been okay but I think it was special because a lot of people were talking about it It was fun being there since I listened to her middle school
0: final question Kristen and then then you will be released and I want you to thank you for the way you suffer for the Saints for their benefit okay Danny you got a good one okay Um, in your mind what was special about that experience
1: I think getting to listen to an artist that I listened to in middle school sing the songs live and to see her talent and ability to sing for three and a half hours. And she dances and sings. She's very talented.
0: So to see it live was better than listening to the albums. Yes. Okay. All right. Kristen, thank you so much. Well done. Well done. Okay. Now, There's nothing wrong in going to a Taylor Swift concert, Geneva, and anybody else who has been there and and whatever. It's not a sin, okay? But, okay, we were wired for worship. And a lot of the things that you hear, okay, Kristen graciously, honestly sharing with us, many of them are connected to worship because we're wired for worship. It's why we gather in stadiums to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It's why we look for a common bond and something to share with. It's why we look for something live rather than listening to something just digitally. It's the experience of gathering three hours in advance. All right? Even on a weekly basis, and men, don't point your fingers at, ladies and young ladies who go to Taylor Swift concerts because we do know of men who lost their voices shouting at Golden State Warriors games, okay? Same phenomena, same experience that you go through where there is this common bond that you gather together to be a part of and to feel connected and to hand over your money, okay? And to really have a, quote-unquote, special experience. Now, there are similarities, and there are some really, really big differences, okay, in God's design for worship, okay? So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to have a look at John chapter 2. And Matt Canady, you're about to get married. So since you're going to have to lead your home, and some of what we're going to talk about today, at some point, Lord willing, is about worship in the home and what worship is—that it's not just on Sundays. Would you be so kind to come to the front and read John two thirteen through twenty two for us?
2: All right, John two thirteen to twenty five. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And wiping, uh, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told, them, and he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus at this, at his, on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Thank you, sir.
0: All right, could I have my uh, next slide? Is that doable? Okay, so our Lord and Savior, maybe we can paraphrase. He got a little, as we would say, bent out of shape about the worship that was going on in the temple, right? Is that a fair statement? And as he is upset about it, it's okay. What is Jesus getting so upset about? All right, why is this such a big deal? I mean, just about every cathedral you go to in Europe, people are selling things, right? And you look at as well, I'm sure, Kristen, did they sell T-shirts at the Taylor Swift concert? They did. They did. I should have asked Geneva. I'm sorry for putting so much heat on you. Geneva, did they sell product and merch at the uh, Taylor Swift concert? Did, did you buy any by any chance? Oh, Geneva. Geneva. Okay, so there's merch there so that you can remember. Well, actually, when you look at those people who were selling stuff in the temple and what happened, of course, you understand Jesus is protesting any number of things, but he's protesting a false worship that is going on in the temple. And part of this is the selling of product, but it's selling the product. And when they're selling pigeons, pigeons were the poor person's sacrifice. And... It's actually a custom and trade that was supposed to help worship. Uh, if you traveled far distances for Passover feast, okay, and as the Roman Empire and Jews spread throughout the Roman Empire and they had to travel further and further and further, bringing your own animals all the way from whether it was Nazareth or Tarsus or all these areas obviously is burdensome, right? And so it's far easier to come to the temple and buy right? Your sacrifice is there and fulfill all the requirements. And so, you know, there's something set up. And initially when you think about it, well, it makes sense, right? If we're going to help people worship and we're here to help them fulfill the law so that they can be right with the Lord, this is a great service to bring in these animals close by, also to have money changers because people had money from all around the world and there was certain money prescribed and certain taxes prescribed for Jewish men when they came in the temple that you can get all that taken care of. And so what if they charge you a little bit of money for that, for the service? They need to make the money too, right? And obviously the high priest had said that this was okay as well. And what you begin to see happening as Jesus identifies here, is what may have started with people thinking this is the best of intentions, over time, starts to destroy what the temple is all about. Maybe even the people who started it had good reasons or trying to do this to alleviate some burdens from folks. We don't know. But this didn't happen overnight. This happened slowly, bit by bit by bit. And as Jesus comes in, by the time he comes in, it's become a racket. And the focus is no longer on coming into the presence of the Lord. The focus has become all of these other secondary things. And what has become clear when you go through the minor prophets is, yes, they're offering sacrifices. Yes, they're doing the things that are prescribed, but their hearts are far from the Lord. It's cluttered both inside and out. And if you want to push it a little bit more, it's worth asking how much is pragmatism and materialism driving the worship of the temple at this time when Jesus comes in? And Jesus makes this point when he casts them out and he does it as the son of God, that this is his father's house. So he is the one who has authority to do so he makes the point that they have turned his father's house into a den of thieves, that they are stealing first from the Lord, but then also from the people who are there, which is horrific from the Jewish perspective. You have defiled the worship of God because God is holy, and he requires that those who come to him to worship him, they are standing on holy ground. That's what the whole temple system was built to be. And it was meant to be, God's provision for an encounter with God, for God to be with his people. The sacrificial system, every step of the way, all of that was prescribed so that sinful people could have their sin addressed in some way so that God, a holy God, would provide a way for his people to dwell in love with him. And of course, the temple system was provisional, as Jesus points to. Because Christ had come to provide a way for us to be with God where the barrier of sin is removed completely. This is ultimately the direction of worship. So I'm going to read you something um, from, guess who? Yeah, you got it. It's it's hard. I'm a one-trick pony. Jesus Christ and Sinclair Ferguson after. Okay. He says... Why do we come to church? This is a devotional that I read to our boys. He says, it's nice to see friends, isn't it? Is that one of the reasons you come to church? But there's another reason, isn't there? We come to meet with the Lord Jesus. My church isn't the only church where Jesus is present with his people, but that's why I come. Why do we come to meet with Jesus? Well, he has promised us that he will be with us. Jesus said, I will be there with you all. See Matthew 18, 20. What do you think Jesus does during church services? We can't see him, but we know he's there. Is he just sitting back thinking, the singing it's not too good today. Is he sitting back there thinking, ooh, that was a pretty average sermon. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 tells us what Jesus does when he meets with his people how does jesus speak to us in church well he speaks to us when we talk about what he says in the bible and when the bible teachers are talking to us about the lord jesus have you ever listened to the preacher or sunday school teacher but felt that at the same time there is another voice that is speaking right into your heart that's what jesus says he's doing hebrews two twelve: i will tell of your name to my brothers so when we come to church jesus is the person who does the real preaching And Jesus is the one who's doing the real teaching. Jesus also leads our praises. He says, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Hebrews 2.12. Do you ever share your hymn book with someone in church? Well, we use PowerPoint, right? You are both looking at the same book so that you can see what words to sing. Now, when we sing together in church, it's like singing and sharing our hymn book with Jesus. Jesus is saying, come on now. You can praise God better than that. I'm hearing you and I'm leading the worship today. So whenever you come to a church where Jesus also comes to church, listen for his voice and sing together with the Lord Jesus. Okay. You know, the point I think is pretty clear, but. I would propose to you it's a major paradigm shift of how we think about church. Um, I think we forget the differences that we should see between a Taylor Swift concert and a Sunday morning concert. Sunday morning is not a concert, but many times, what are the stresses in our lives? If you're with me, how's the mic working? Oh, they missed that in the PowerPoint quote-unquote, how do we perform, right? Is that a fair statement? That many times the focus of our worship is on how we perform, okay? And also part of the focus can be who we're connecting with, right? Did we get to see our friends? Did we get to see these people? How's it going? Um, in our little group that we talked about with Udi and Edwin, we talked about the stresses sometimes when weeks get hectic, right? And worship can become stressful, right? Guitar instruments don't work, speakers are not working, AVs not working, okay, or there's a big event that comes, typically we become stressed to a certain degree because we're thinking about our performance. Is that a fair statement? And if it goes wrong, it becomes Tupac, right? All eyes on me. Fair statement? All right? Okay. Okay and so those are some of the ways in which look when we're thinking about it when we think we're actually thinking about it in the same way as a taylor swift concert right except this is a real poor man's taylor swift concert fair statement and sometimes we think about that too when we think about what we're missing out in church as well right went to this play. what an awesome rock and children's ministry they had and they had handouts and brochures and they they basically you know they're going to wet and wild for the kids retreat and on and on and on it goes it's like whoa you know what i mean <clears throat> And maybe some of us on our summer vacations we get a chance to go to other cities so we can go covert operation and take our kids elsewhere and and it's like wow they do it like that and so on and so forth okay but as we come to god's word we see the primary purpose of worship is to meet with christ That was always what it was from Genesis onwards. And very specifically, it's for the people of God to meet with Christ. Worship is not for unbelievers. Worship is there for them to see, they're really the fans, the people who look on and see people worship and marvel and are amazed that something different is happening here because God's spirit is filling this place in your life and mine And we're encountering and experiencing Jesus, but they can't participate, so they can just hand out friendship bracelets, okay? But for the people of God, the reason we come, all right, is to encounter and engage with our Lord and Savior in a very unique way, because he has said, yes, he is with us in our homes, yes, he is with us where we go, but... He has said, the church I'm building is my bride. The temple and dwelling place is a unique experience when the people of God physically gather together to engage and encounter our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the same way in our families when we have special meals and everybody's together. There's a unique time as we gather together to experience that fellowship over food in a way, in an interaction that typically doesn't happen when we might all be in the same house, but we're running around doing different things. So one of the points I wanna put before you really today is I I really wanna begin challenging how we think about worship, okay? One of the points that is made, right, in St. Clair Ferguson's book and is made many times throughout scripture, It's the point that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, in order to redeem us for worship, okay? If you, I'm sorry, Could AV team, could you go back to the the first slide? It says, Dr. Mayhew MacArthur says, from predestination to glorification, the Bible, is the story of God redeeming his chosen people also known as the church for the praise of his glory from predestination to glorification the Bible is the story of God redeeming his chosen people for the praise of his glory okay and so when we look at the Bible's story really this is how it starts sin comes in in the garden through a lie you can do it on your own it's all about you Worship is not destroyed from God's perspective, but from our experience, our fellowship with the Lord is destroyed by sin and sinful desires. And so the story of the Bible is how God redeems us and he redeems us for worship. And when you come to Revelation at the very end of scripture, the heavenly chorus is praising the lamb who was slain, saying he is worthy, right? And the beauty of what God is doing in our lives, in our marriages, in every aspect of our life, is he is doing a work of sanctifying you and redeeming you for worship. And that worship is not just, as we discussed, and I'm sure many of you discuss, is not just on Sundays. And I think sometimes we have it backwards because... Our propensity, and this is mine too, is we're preparing for worship on Sunday. We're preparing for worship on Sunday. We're preparing for worship on Sunday, right? Got to get it right for Sunday. I found it interesting going through Matthew's gospel to see the way in which Jesus would pray after he served. He's gone. He's fed 5,000 people. He's worked hard. He's labored. And then it's after sometimes that he comes apart and he prays. And I'm going to propose to you that Sunday morning, your encounter with Christ, with the people of God, as we encounter one another, and we engage with people, and we speak the truth in love, and we see and hear what God is doing in each of our lives, that Sunday morning is meant to reflect the gospel, it's meant to pour into you the gospel, it's an encounter with Christ, which in many ways is to strengthen and encourage you and set the pace for the rest of your week that your work life and your family life, your relationships are to flow out of your worship with Christ. That engagement with Christ is meant to transform and redeem every aspect of your life. Could I have my next slide, please? And this is where the connection comes to the chapter that you read. My apologies if you didn't get the book my understanding is that we're gonna order for everybody who signs up for it. Um, that was a gaff and a delay on my end, but the book that we're going through to help us is devoted to God's church, okay? And you'll have lots of time another month to read the first chapter if you didn't get a chance to read it. But Dr. Ferguson makes this connection. He says, believing in Christ means belonging to Christ. Believing in Christ means belonging to christ if you indeed are a child of god if christ has come and saved you it means you've been purchased by his blood you've been forgiven you've brought, been brought in not just for a private worship experience but you are part of the family of god and you have been placed in a local congregation a congregation that has been redeemed for the worship of christ according to the will and word of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why God has saved you, that you would be a part of his worship. And what we do now in some ways is like a dress rehearsal for what will happen throughout eternity, okay? That God's design is that we would all be a part of the worship and more than just exchanging friendship bracelets. And I don't say that in a pejorative way. Okay, we're making the distinction here that it's not just meant to be Danny and Eric performing up here in the front or the AV team at the back, because I think this is going to transform how we think about one another, how we serve one another, how we love one another. When we're thinking in those terms, we're thinking, how does what this person, what they do, how does it make my life easier? How does what they do make my life more difficult? Right? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. They put the wrong thing up or that this isn't in the right place. And what we see is Christ has come to redeem us from that, that his purpose is to fill your heart and mine with the love of Christ that is here to serve others, where others are more important than ourselves. And this is where the differences between Taylor Swift and Jesus start to become really big. Because Chase Senter and Taylor Swift, as good as they are, and Taylor Swift's as good as it's going to be as far as American entertainers. Like who gives three and a half hours, right? Okay, she tries to give value for her money. But at the end of the day, you're worshiping a person and it's all about an exchange of money, right? And it's building a brand. Christ calls you to be with him so he can love you and he can pour into you because he's already died for you and he's already purchased you with his blood. And he's done so so that he can transform your family, your work, your education, and every aspect of your life. No, you don't have to go up and be a priest or a monk. Dr. Ferguson makes the point that every local church congregation, according to God's word, is an outpost of heaven. It's a place where Christ comes on a regular basis to dwell and pour into and love his people. And as a consequence of that, every place that you go, you take Christ with you. Sunday mornings are meant to pour Christ into you so that when you go home with your families, when you go home, when you go to work in each of these different places, Your heart is filled with Christ. That is God's desire for you. And your heart is filled with the love of Christ and the strength of Christ so you can endure whatever trials are there so that we have the opportunity to proclaim Christ until he returns because he's left us here as part of his plan of redemption. And as we consider this work that he's doing, we see that worship is going to transform us. Whatever worship you do, whether you're a Golden State Warriors fan, it's going to transform you, or whether you're worshiping Christ, it is going to transform you because it's going to inform the desires of your heart. It's going to inform the way in which you do things. It's going to inform every aspect of your life. And so as we see that we're part of this community that Christ is redeeming, we are also part of a community that Christ is transforming. Because God's worship is meant to transform every aspect of your life. It's meant to make your life reflect or make the gospel visible. This should also give us love and patience with one another. Because we're not perfect, we're all in different parts of the spectrum. God is doing a work in each of our lives, right? And we understand that we're actually here to love and serve and encourage and help another person keep their eyes on Christ rather than themselves. This is the big purpose of everything, brothers and sisters, that we do, but it's also the big purpose of what Christ is doing in each one of us. Now, where does that leave us? We're at 12.04, and I should tie up. The point that Jesus makes in the temple is that worship really belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. It's not our worship, it's his. The church, it belongs to God. Christ purchased it with his blood. But also our families and our lives, every aspect belongs to God. And Sinclair Ferguson makes this point in the book. He said, you're not going to have a God-centered life. You're not going to have a Christ-centered life. You're not going to have a spirit-led life separate from the church. Why is that? Because the church is Christ's bride. He died for her. And he has redeemed you to be part of the church and her worship. So I want to challenge you too to thank every aspect of your life All right, And this is a paradigm shift is meant to be built around Christ. And it's also meant to be built out by extension, the worship of the local church. We tend to think of that separately. We all do ministries during the week, work is during the week. I take care of the kids during the week. I work during the week and then two days a week. Okay, we set aside the time and here we, we come and we come to our pit stop and we get together and this is our time. And sometimes we can't get there until we've finished all our work, right? Is that a fair statement? Or I, I can't think about it until we get all of these things that I have to get done. And we actually have it, I believe, backwards. Okay? God and His love for you has meant, and it's not like a cult, okay? Where all well, your money's supposed to go here, your family's supposed to, you know, and we're going to control where your kids go to college. It's not like that. It's really what it's about is, hey, the decisions you make, the priorities that you do, as you build out, it's Christ the King. It's his word. But also as part of that, as you consider the decisions that you make, right? Where you work, what you do, the time that the activities that you do as a family, what you do, you're going to prioritize and take into consideration our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because he wants to spend time with you. But you're also going to consider the place he's called you to spend time with him. Some of that's private, but the major portion and the family meal is meant to be with your local church because he's put you together to worship the Lord together. Now, I guess I'll say one final thing. How does this affect your home devotional time your worship with your family and even your time in ministry at work. Can I have my next slide? Is that doable? Can I have the last one that says application? The point that Dr. Ferguson makes is the worship leader of the church and the worship leader of your life and the worship leader of your home and the worship leader of your family is all the same. I know we started for a season and we kind of put that on Danny and Eric. You guys are the praise leaders in training and there are models in churches where the pastor is the praise leader or this person's the praise leader and then, you know, the AV team or the silent folks who are the elves who help. So, okay, when we come to God's word, he does away with that. We all have the same worship leader the one we follow, and the one who leads us in worship. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you go through scripture, this is what all scripture is preparing for, is for Christ to come and be our worship leader, to lead us into fellowship and worship in the spirit with God, our Heavenly Father, so that we can encounter the Lord and we can know and enjoy his love. And when you go through scripture, there are three terms that come up repeatedly about what is involved in worship. One of them is honor, one of them is serve, and the other is praise. Now there's more than that, okay? But those three come up very prominently. The idea of worship that's used as an illustration in the Old Testament, you read about it in Psalm 100, is corporate worship is coming into the courts of your king to swear allegiance and to fulfill your vows before the king because he has purchased you, he has bought you, you belong to him, and this is part of the celebration that you have a good king, and so you are renewing your wedding vows, you are renewing your pledge, and you are experiencing the joy of being fed and taken care of by your king. And so that should hopefully motivate us that we're at more than a Taylor Swift concert, and engage this time when you think of people waiting three hours, God bless you, but three hours, right? And I used to do that too, okay? So, Kristen, don't feel bad. I walk those streets, okay? But three hours and the preparation and the time and all of those different things that are there. Our worship is a reflection of what we think about Christ and what we believe he's done for us. So how do we do a home worship with our family? How do we do a home worship with our our, our our, our children, how do we do a personal devotional time? It should be informed by who Jesus is, that he is the king of worship who has purchased us, we belong to him, and that time is time alone that he has set aside to spend time with us and pour his love into us. And so one of the things that we do in our family, there are days that are good and there are days that are bad, I will tell you, when I come and I'm doing family devotions because I have to do it, because we've set aside the time, they're usually not too good. The problem is, who's leading the worship? Papa Chen is leading the worship and not Jesus. And so I've learned along the way, one of the things that I need to do is I need to spend time in prayer and being alone with Christ before I come and meet with Julie or the kids. Because if not, I'm just going through the motions, and it's me leading it, and I'm a terrible worship leader. Okay, second thing. When we come in, sometimes with the boys, we will sing a song like, holy, holy, holy. In order to set our minds and remind ourselves that the worship leader is Christ, not us, and he is holy. That it's about him, not us. And sometimes I have to remind the kids because their minds are in different places, who knows whether they're saved or where they're at. But to remind them, even if they're not saved or whatever, who's the king of our home? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whose time is this? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can play all day. You can do your homework all day. You can do what you need to do. There's time, we'll make sure. But whose time is this? This is time that Christ has set aside Because he desires to be with us. Sometimes in our devotions, we talk and go through it as if Christ is dead and we're opening up a textbook and we're going through it. And so we have an opportunity to live by faith, to say, we're here, framework, honor, serve, and praise with the gospel. To honor and confess that Christ is our king. He is present with us, but one worthy to serve him. Confession, right? And so part of that too is coming before the Lord together in prayer and confessing our sins and also confessing our need for his help in our worship. Service. Biblical service and worship service, okay, is the belt on the idea, we're not qualified to serve. That's the Apostle Paul. It's the grace of God that's made me a minister of the gospel. And so part of service is petition, coming to the Lord and asking for his help, what we need. Not presuming, I'm gonna do a great job on Sunday, I'm gonna do this, it's like I need his help. Without his grace, it ain't gonna happen and it's gonna be ugly. Not because the speaker failed, because my heart is ugly, right? Part of service and what you do for expository preaching is you're coming to get instructions from your king on how to serve him. It's listening that's serving expository listening is gathered it's not like i'm watching a film and i came out and i was lifted up it's i need him to equip me i need to come under his word i need to come under his love i need him to pour his spirit into my heart and soul and fill me up and then i need to go out and do as he commanded which is obedience and as we walk on that path with christ and he leads us in worship our hearts are filled with praise why Because we've encountered Christ, our hearts have been filled with his love and everything that we need, he's given us to glorify him and enjoy him forever, okay? So I hope this time has started a framework for you to rethink how you do your devotions in the morning. Whether you start in prayer and listen to a praise song, And just spend some moments before you start reading the word considering who God is and what he's done for you and that you belong to him. By going in and praying to the Lord as if he's actually alive and present because he says he is. And coming under his word to hear specifically what he has to say for you for that day. But also to go out and consider how he fills your heart and to be intentional about praising the Lord for his love and his goodness in your life. And that that would be a framework for your time with your spouses, the time with your families, but also to consider as we come in how the Lord is using Sunday morning to frame us for a worship that begins on Sunday and ends on Sunday and is preparing us for eternity. I'm going to close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, We thank you that you have redeemed us for worship. I pray, Lord, uh, that our eyes would be opened, that we would enjoy what you've already given us, and that your love for us and your work on the cross and your resurrection would set the framework and the pace, not just for Sundays, Lord, but for every day of the week, and that we might glorify you and enjoy you forever, not by our strength and means, Lord, but by your work which is being done in us and through us. In your name we pray, amen. I didn't get questions, I think i set that out, but when we go on a month-to-month basis, um, we'll send it out. If you have questions about worship, send them in, and we'll try and spend a certain amount of time going through those questions in worship as i said um, i think is it david and kevin who are going to help us tally up the numbers of books we need yes okay if you need one of the books uh devoted to god's church and we're going to walk through that together a chapter at a time um then see david and we'll sign you up, and we will order those books. And if you are serving on one of our teams, the church will cover that expense for you. We want to pour into you. Um, let's see. I, I believe there's a lunch for the— Who's the lunch for, David? Set up AV and praise, okay? Okay. There's a lunch and then there's an equipping for that praise team on um, our AV equipment and uh, how we can work together with the AV team. And... uh, uh, well, well, not. Absolutely. We can do that. So we need some help. And then uh, I believe the next time we're meeting for the worship equipping is going to be October 8th. We meet the second Sunday. Lord willing, Dr. Grassanti is supposed to be with us on that time, and um, I have strong-armed him um, to do a Q&A on worship in the Old Testament for us, okay? And what were the criteria of being included and in getting the boot um, for worship? So uh, that's something we can look forward to. So, listen, thank you for joining us, and thank you for this time.